Today we're going to be reading from Psalm 122. So if you turn with me to Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, to the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Psalm 122 is our text. If you have a Bible or a phone, you can find that again real quick. While you're doing that, I just want to say, uh, my name is Steve. I'm the associate pastor here, and it's good to see you all and good to be together today. Psalm 122 begins with this verse. Verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, the more faithful uh, rendition of the Hebrew there is, I was stoked to go to church. (laughs) Now, this is funny to us because there is this perception I think in the church, but definitely in the broader culture, that going to church is maybe a good idea, it's, it's a duty to be fulfilled, but it is not fun, <laughs> right? It's not a thing that you get stoked to go deal. That perception is only reinforced by this, this sort of spate of studies and articles that are out there talking about how church attendance is down and all the reasons for that. And there's a lot of good reasons for why that is true, but it just, again, reinforces this idea that there are very few people who would ever actually say, I was glad, right? I was stoked to go to church. But the flip side of all of that is that church attendance, going to church on Sunday morning, is still one of the most popular activities, maybe the most popular activity still in our country. According to a, a recent study by The Atlantic, over 51% of people attend Uh, worship regularly, which is now defined as two times a month. That's roughly 160 million people regularly going to church. Now, just for the sake of comparison, there's a lot of numbers we could throw out here, but since it's the playoffs and basketball season, we'll just use this as a comparison. The Warriors had 803,000 people come to their home games, 41 home games. The NBA as a whole drew 25 million people, and there's about 5 or 6 million people that watch each of the games, each of the playoff games here during this, during this season. Now hold that in comparison to, again, 160 million people regularly going to church. So yes, America is more secular now than 50 years before, uh, yes, Uh, church attendance is declining, and it may indeed sound funny to say, I was glad, I was stoked to go to church, and yet the majority of us still do it. We still do it. Now, I want you to hold on to that for a moment as we remind ourselves of of where we are here in this series. We spent a couple of weeks looking at the Psalms of Ascent, okay, the smaller subsection of the Psalms. It comes in Uh, the latter half of the book, Psalm 120 to 134. These are songs that would have been sung by Hebrew pilgrims on their way 
to Jerusalem for one of the major festivals of the year. And a good Hebrew would have done this three times over the course of a year. And as we've been looking at these particular psalms, one of our bigger themes has been this theme of discipleship. We've been talking a little bit about that word. It's kind of a churchy Christian word, right? And if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard that word discipleship thrown around a ton, and maybe it's lost some meaning for you. If you're not familiar with it or with church in general, you probably don't hear anybody ever talk about it. What discipleship? Who uses that in regular conversation? So one of our goals here has been to, to sort of redefine that for us. We said discipleship is formation. Formation into a way of life. It could be anything. It could be any way of life. All of us are being formed by something all the time, whether we are intentional about it or not. And so to be a disciple of Jesus is to be intentional about what is forming us. It is to be intentionally formed into Jesus' way of life. And we've been making the case that these psalms are actually a good guide for us in this process of becoming a Jesus follower. They're a good guide for us for a couple different reasons. One is their communal nature. These were songs that were sung by large groups of people during these pilgrimages. And it's a reminder, again, that formation doesn't happen alone. It doesn't happen on our own. We're always formed in community. They're, a, they're good for us because of their intentionality. And then they're also helpful in this process because of the truth and the disciplines that they outline for us. This is where worship comes into the conversation. Worship, church attendance, is one of those disciplines, this weekly decision to join a community of like-minded people to be formed by the songs that we sing and the scripture that we read, the practices that we participate in, like communion, and the relationships that we have and form because of being here week, week after week. Worship is one of those disciplines that reveals a lot about who we are because we're not really forced to be here. You may want to debate me on that. That's fine. But for the most part... Right? We're not forced to be here. It's one of those things that, that it's a reflection of our values because this is about discretionary time. There are all kinds of things that you could be doing right now. You could be taking care of chores, running errands, visiting any number of awesome places here in the Bay Area. You could be sleeping in, reading a good book, working on a hobby, all kinds of different things. Whatever it is you're thinking, stop telling me about all the things that I could be doing right now. But even with all those options, you are here. You are here this morning to be in community with other people, to be formed into the way of Jesus and to worship our God. What we do when we don't have to, it's a test of our values. Worship is one of those activities. And so here we are. And again, we may or may not be stoked, excited to be here, but we are here and we're going to talk a little bit about this ambivalence that some of us have. I think we have this because we've lost our why. We've lost our sense of why we do this week after week, year after year. And so Psalm 122 is a good gift to us because it reminds us of our why. So a couple of reasons listed by this psalm for why we gather to worship. The first one comes in verse 2. 
where we read this, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. So the first reason here that worship is important, and this is especially true for these Hebrew pilgrims as they made their way on this journey to Jerusalem, is that it gave them a vision for their journey. Gave them a vision for their journey. They would have been been singing this particular song in preparation for the Feast of Pentecost or Tabernacles or Passover. And this song would have reminded them of where they were headed. Not that they didn't know where they were going, but it reminded them of what was so special to them about the city of Jerusalem. This is known as a Psalm of Zion. There's a handful of these throughout the book of Psalms, but they're odes to the city of Jerusalem. For the the Hebrew pilgrims, Jerusalem was their city. Now, we live in a hyper-mobile society. People are moving around all the time around our country, even around the world. But even with that, even with all the movement of people, place is still vital to our identity as human beings. Home, where we're from, our hometown, our home city, so important to our identity. Now, some of us here this morning are Oakland natives, born and bred. Okay, I'm not one of, I'm not one of those. But if you ever have the opportunity to meet someone who is Oakland, Oakland native, you will discover that they are among the most loyal human beings on the face of this earth. They love this city. And if you want to say anything bad about Oakland, you better be ready to fight. <laughs> there, there's one right there. <laughs> I had a very similar experience when we were living in Boston. In fact, Bostonians probably even a little bit more violent in some ways. But if you, <laughs> they love their city. And if you, again, said anything bad about it, man, that's like go time. I don't necessarily have that attachment to the city that I grew up in. But for me, being born in San Jose, growing up on the Monterey Peninsula, San Francisco, my apologies to Oaklanders, San Francisco is my city. Amy and I, we, we lived in Boston for a couple years. Before we had kids, we came out here to visit one Christmas, I think it was. And at the end of that visit, we had about 24 hours to just spend in San Francisco. And, uh, and it was, a, it was a, this really interesting experience of we hadn't been there for several years. And we hadn't been there together since we had been dating and married. And so we were, like, really excited to show each other our favorite parts of the city. And we had no maps, no smartphone, none of that stuff. We could just, we just were able to go and walk around and find it. It was like, here's this, and here's this, and here's this. Very refreshing experience coming from Boston where we were constantly lost. And I don't know if you know anything about Boston, but it's not gridded out. It's like swirling vortexes of streets. And the ocean is on the wrong side. And then on top of all that, I think this is just totally like a Boston kind of like stick it to the man kind of thing. There's no like street signs either. So you have no idea where you are most of the time. So to be back in a place where we could just walk and know where we were and be able to go like, oh, I've been here and I've been here and this is one of my favorite spots. Very refreshing. That is the beauty of having a city. And that is what Jerusalem was for the Hebrews. It was that place when they were there, it was just their, it was their city and they were home. And so they sang about it. 
because it gave them a vision for their journey, this sense of direction and purpose. A reminder, this is where they went to be formed, to remember the God who created them, the God who chose them, the God who redeemed them and who brought them out of slavery and all these other big moments in their history. They went to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem here is described as a compact city bound together. And there's a couple of different ways to read that. One of them is that I'm sure traffic was horrible during these festivals. <laughs> all this congestion with all those people there. But I think more importantly than that, this image has to do with proximity and unity. All these people together in one place. It was exciting. There was a, a buzz. There was an energy in the city. And that's part of what they looked forward to on this journey, being in Jerusalem and being together. Do we have a vision for worship? Do we have this sense of anticipation when we get up on Sunday morning? What is God going to do when we're all here in this place together? Maybe if we're no longer stoked, to show up to church on Sunday morning, it's because we've lost our vision. So having a vision for worship is very important. But worship is also important because it brings structure to our life, vision, passion, great. But worship is not just about the feelings that we have, the feelings that it gives us. Look at verse 4. Jerusalem, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. To give thanks to the name of the Lord. Decreed that we give thanks. Key word there is decreed, right? Now, we've already said worship reveals our character because it's not something that's forced upon us. And yet the word here, decreed, can make it sound like something, like worship is something that we have to do. This is one of the, the tensions, the paradoxes of, of worship. We don't have to do it. And yet... At some, in some other sense, we must do it, right? This decree is not about forcing us into something against our will. It has much more to do with God's wisdom. Wisdom that says that there are things that we should do even if we don't feel like doing them. Now, there's this line of thinking out there that says, if I'm not feeling it, I shouldn't do it. Because that would be inauthentic. That would be dishonest. But the wisdom of God says it is really good to do things even when we don't feel like doing them. We might say it this way. We can act our way into a feeling much more reliably than we can feel our way into acting. We can act our way into a feeling much more reliably than we can feel our way into acting. Sometimes the vision isn't working for us. Sometimes we've lost it. Sometimes we're, we aren't feeling it. We're sort of drifting and we don't want to be here. And this is why disciplines, decrees, are so important. They help us act our way into the feeling. It almost never works the other way around. I, if I wait until I feel like it to clean our house, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but if I know we're cleaning on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. and I show up and do it, I still may not feel like doing it, but it's happening and it gets done, and I am glad for it when it is over, right? And I enjoy the benefits of having a clean home. This is also sort of how worship works 
Okay, we need vision and passion, but we also need that structure, the discipline of doing this week after week. So worship gives us a vision. It also provides structure. And then finally, worship is important because it orients us, it orients our attention rather on God and on God's decisions. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Here's another word that we don't really like, right? Judgment. We don't want to be thought of as judgmental people. But a judgment is simply just a decision. We make judgments all the time. What did you have for breakfast this morning, granola or raisin bran? And when you picked one of those options, when you picked raisin bran, you judged it to be the better option for you this morning. Now, judgment as it pertains to God and his words is the decisions that God makes to put his world back together, to make his world right again, to enact righteousness. And that happens from his throne. And when we worship, we orient ourselves around that throne. It's this reminder of who God is and our relationship to him puts us in our proper place and it allows God to be the judge. Worship reminds us that God is the one who is in control, not us. That God is at the center of the action, not us. And not just that God is in control, but he does have a plan. He does have an idea for where all of this is going. And this leads us here into the second half of this psalm. Look at verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now here's where we get into the the tension that Jen uh, led us into so well uh, in her words here just a few moments ago. This question of why go to church? Why do we worship? How can we do this together when there's so much pain and brokenness in our world? Does any of this make a difference? Aren't there more important things that we could be doing right now? Well, to begin to answer that question, we need to go back and and look for just a brief moment at the big picture of Scripture to remember what God is up to. The story begins with God's good creation, and again, Jen alluded to this in in her story here just a few moments ago, but God made the world and everything in it and called it good. This state of goodness is what the Old Testament writers call shalom, and we've spent quite a bit of time over the last year talking about this and unpacking this word shalom. Shalom is used three times in Psalm 122, every time you read that word peace, That's the word shalom. Shalom is the way God created and intended the world to function, a state of right relationships between himself and his creatures, human beings, and the rest of his creation. However, humans rejected this good order, rejected this uh, organization of right relationship, and as a result, introduced sin into the story. And sin unleashes all sorts of what we might call anti-shalom forces into the world. Violence, mistrust, shame, hiding, lying, just to name a couple. 
The good news, though, is that God does not give up, right? God does not walk away from this. And he begins a project of restoration, a project of redeeming his creation. That project begins by choosing a man named Abraham. Abraham and his family are to be a blessing to all nations. It's really important that we notice here that God chooses to begin this restoration project through a family, through a community of people. Now, as you read through the Old Testament, from time to time you get a glimpse of what this was supposed to look like. We get a glimpse, I think, here in Psalm 122. But for the most part, Abraham's family, which uh, comes to be known as Israel, totally fails to be this blessing that God has called them to be. But again, God does not give up. He jumps in even further, presses even deeper into this by sending his son Jesus to do what Israel failed to do, to do what we fail to do. Jesus leads a perfectly shalom life, and then he lays that life down. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus overcomes the violent, anti-shalom, sinful forces of the world and begins to restore order by making it possible for us to live in right relationship with God and with each other again. Now, post-Jesus, we live in an era defined not by Israel, but by the church. God still works through a community of people to see his shalom restoration project unfold. This community of Jesus followers is tasked with being the physical presence of Jesus in the world. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. The church referred to as the body of Christ, the body of Jesus, the physical, tangible presence of Jesus in the world. This is God's plan for the tangible reality of the resurrected Jesus to be expressed in a worshiping community of people who bear witness to the good news that through Jesus, God is restoring everything back to shalom. Now, back to these Hebrew pilgrims. Why travel all that way to Jerusalem? Was it to do some religious duties? Was it to sing some songs and kill some goats and drop some change in the box and then be good for another couple months before doing the whole thing all over again? No. For them, it was the most important thing they could be doing. It was participating in God's plan, God's dream for his world to go to Jerusalem, to pray for peace, to seek shalom, to seek the good of the city and all those who lived and worked and worshipped there. Now, far too often, what we might call mission work or shalom work or kingdom work or justice work, whatever label you want to put on it, it gets held up in opposition to the church. You have worship over here, justice over here, church service over here, kingdom service over here. There's a lot of, of different reasons for that, many of them historical, but at the root, it's just bad theology. These were not separate categories for the Hebrews. Their worship led them to seek shalom and do good in their city. Look at those verses again to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now there's a wordplay here in the Hebrew. Peace, used again three times, is the Hebrew word shalom. Security, used twice, is the word shalva, a derivative of shalom. And then Jerusalem itself contains the root salem or shalem, which is another derivative of shalom. Shalom, shalva, shalem. Even as they sung these songs, this message was being reinforced. This is why they're doing this. To seek shalom, to do good, to bring peace to their city. Worship is the regular participation in the peace and security of God leading us to seek the peace and security of our community. Now, these were not separate categories for Jesus and the early church either. Again, their worship led to seek shalom and to do good in the city. Look at Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That sounds a lot like a worship service. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. For the early church, their worship led them to seek the good of their city, their communities. Scott McKnight, who's one of the preeminent New Testament scholars in our world right now, speaks to this false dichotomy between worship and justice, what he calls kingdom and church. He says this, It's easier to do good deeds, like build a well, than get involved in a church because it feels good. It resolves some social shame for all that we have, and it is good and right and noble and just. But he goes on to say it is more glamorous to do social activism because building a local church is hard. Being a part of a local church involves people who struggle with one another. It involves persuading others of the desires of your heart to help the homeless or whatever your particular cause is. It means caring for people where they are and not where you want them to be. It involves daily routines and it only rarely leads to the highs of short-term experiences. The local church is what Jesus came to build, and so the local church's mission shapes kingdom mission. We might say it this way, the church is God's plan. There's a lot of great things that we can be doing, but the hope of the world is the suffering and resurrected Jesus made real, made tangible through the work of the local church. That's God's plan. And if the church is truly being the church, it will be broken and poured out for the good of the community around it. And as it is broken and poured out, the suffering and resurrected Jesus, again, will be made real. And this happens in, in everything that we do. Everything that we do. Every time you sit down with a kid 
and do a craft or an activity in our kids' ministry, every time you pray with someone, every time you serve someone a cup of coffee or bring snacks for halftime or clean a floor or a toilet here in this building, every time you pass out a bulletin or fill a cup of juice for communion, every time during the week as you prepare for a home group meeting or meet with someone to hear about their struggles, every time you bring someone food after they have a baby, every time you cook breakfast for the homeless, or help a refugee prep for a citizenship test every time you show up at a rally or walk for water like we did yesterday. Every time you help create a slide or set up the soundboard or have a conversation with someone who is very different than you, every time you are broken and poured out, just like Jesus was broken and poured out, your worship and witness brings shalom <coughs> Excuse me, <coughs> to our broken world. Now, the church is not going to save the world or solve all of our problems. But it does point the way to the Savior. <coughs> the church is always at its best when it is broken and poured out like Jesus. This is our why. This is why we gather and worship here every week. To remember what Jesus has done for us, that he was broken and poured out so that we can be broken and poured out for the shalom of the world. Now, back to that uh, dichotomy again between uh, worship and justice or kingdom and church, however you want to describe it. Some of us are more comfortable on one side or the other of that, right? <coughs> Some of us, we love worship because of the vision <coughs> and the structure and the orientation that it provides for us, the, the feelings that we get when we're here together singing songs. Others of us much more comfortable seeking uh, justice or fighting against injustice. But if our worship doesn't lead us to seek shalom, we may not actually be worshiping the God revealed in Scripture. And if our activism is not rooted in worship, we may be doing some really nice things, but it is not shalom. So as we close here and as we get ready to sing uh, some songs, we're going to spend a little bit more time uh, in worship this morning uh, to close out our time as we take communion and, and pray and do all the things that we normally do here. Just a couple of, of practical steps. First is this. During this time of worship, pray for the shalom of the city. Certainly do what you need to do. Have the conversation with God that you need to have, but spend some time praying for the shalom of our city and our world. And then the second thing is this. Jen referred to our uh, Emerging Justice and Mercy team, and they've put up uh, some stuff out in the hallway from some of the conversations that they've been having. And I encourage you to go take a look at that and read through that. And uh, I think even some of the team may be around there, and you can ask them questions about what a next step is or how you can get involved. But please take a moment and take a look at that. So as we close our time together, we'll sing and we'll take communion. And may our worship lead to shalom. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we come before you this morning and we do confess that there are a lot of ways that we individually participate in 
these anti-shalom behaviors. So the first thing we may need to do this morning is simply just confess some of those things and trust your grace and mercy to, to cover our own sin and brokenness. But after that, God, may we begin to turn our attention to you and to this incredible plan that you are uh, enacting in our world. Started through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, this bringing of redemption and restoration to lives and to communities. And God, may our worship lead us to be involved in, in seeking the shalom of our city here in Oakland and, and of our world. May our worship never just be about what we do here on Sunday morning, although that's part of it, that's fundamental to it, but may it again lead us to be Jesus, broken and poured out for the good of those around us. So God, begin speaking to us about what that looks like, about what our next step there might be, about who you're calling us to love, ways you're calling us to get involved and invested in the work that you are doing in and through Regen. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.